presence which exists among you. This is a loud church. This is, the, this is a church that people know about because of their faith. Because of the faith you have in Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Heavenly Father, today we, we, we look at your word and we want you to speak. We want you to speak to us today, Lord. Would these words be more than just ink on paper, things that we hear? Would they transform us and change us and move in and out of our hearts and our souls today? And we would leave here, Lord, having heard from you. We pray all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, amen, amen, amen. It's a good day. Put your hands together for the worship team. Come on, give them a shout. Listen, about two weeks ago, I saw that there was a, a thing on the news that said um, you could win a billion dollars by playing the lottery. All of y'all got really nervous in here. I'll tell you why. Because I know some of y'all played that lottery. Right? Come on. Listen. When I saw that it was a billy, I mean a billion dollars, I said, man, hold up. I think I might have an extra dollar or two. I mean, this ain't gambling, really. I mean, I'm, I'm trying. Listen, I don't know about you and your relationship with the lottery, but I, me and the lottery, I'm from the hood. I'm from the ghetto. I'm Mexican. Oh, my family played the lottery. We didn't just play the lottery like at the gas station, but we had a game called Loteria. We played it for fun. Any Mexicans know what I'm talking about? We grew up playing Loteria with Grandma. Grandma taught us how to gamble early. Give me all your pennies and all your dimes. That's my money. It's mine. I remember when I was young, my family, um, we'd have this big old TV set, huge TV set in the living room. And again, we're from Greenspoint, so we wanted to get up out the hood. And every time it was time for uh, the lottery, it would happen on Saturday night, and, and I would hear my parents talking. How much, how, how much are we going to put in? What numbers are we going to pick? I mean, they took it serious. And that Saturday night, it was like, it was like this crazy, weird moment where, we, are we going to make it today? As right now, are we about to experience millions of dollars being given to us because we just picked these numbers out of nowhere? And week after week after week, I, I'd sit there, I was young, and I'd listen to my parents turn on the news, and, and I'd see the little, the little ping pong balls roll down, and then I would hear the excitement whenever, like, one of the numbers was, was the same number that they picked, but then I would hear the disappointment, right? Because when, when you don't have the first two numbers, you already know I'm not getting this thing. And I would hear the disappointment over and over again, and I started to think, you know, playing the lottery was like this thing that we just did. Played the lottery. All my family would do it. We'd get into pools. People would do it at work. I just thought this was a thing that we did. Until one day, I remember my, my, I think it was my dad. He said he had a dream with lottery numbers. That was my, oh, my mom's here. Okay. She's admitting it right now. The Lord gave her lottery numbers. And she woke up and she was like, hey, the Lord, I got some numbers in my head. And my dad said, did you write them down? She goes, no, I told myself in the middle of the night, there's no way I'm going to forget these numbers. Have you ever done that? You wake up and you're having a dream, 
And you say, man, I'll never forget this dream. This dream's way too vivid, way too real. Then you wake up and you don't even know what you dreamt. I remember the day that my mom said she got the numbers through a dream and she didn't write them down. The disappointment on my dad's face. The disappointment. It was bad. It was bad. It was so bad. You know what made it worse? What made it worse was the next time it was time for the lottery and the numbers started rolling down. My mom goes, ooh. She's in the background just like, ooh. Ah, ooh, I should have. And my dad's like, what? He's Mexican. What? Real loud. I knew, I, those were the numbers I thought. <laughs> I mean, the chaos in my house at that point. Because it was my mom's fault that we stayed in the hood. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. It's the reason I put clothes on layaway. It's the reason I lived in Greenspoint. It's the reason I went to schools with the name Shotwell. I mean, that was the name of my school, Shotwell. It was terrible. Listen, the lottery, is, it's funny how it, it, it becomes something that can completely obsess you. Right, because there's this chance you can win. I saw a video last week of a kid who bought lottery ticket numbers for his dad, but they were old lottery ticket numbers, and he, he played a video of those old lottery ticket numbers winning, and he took a video. I mean, this generation's wicked. <laughs> Sad, I mean, wicked. The, the, the old man was like, oh, I got that number. I got that number. Wait a minute. I got that one too. Wait, I got two more. Two more. Wait, that's my number. One more. And, and, and he was, the boy was, he was just laughing because he knew. And, the, and when the sixth one came, that man was celebrating. He, we're out the hood. We made it. We made it. I'm going to pay off all of our debt. I'm going to buy my mama a house. He was just so excited. And then the son goes, I, it's a joke. Those are old numbers. I'm playing you, Dad. I want to put it on TikTok or something. Go viral. Listen, that man's face. He said, I knew it was too good to be true. He sat down. Disappointed. And you could just see the shift. When he had something that was life-changing. But it, in his mind, too good to be true. Let me tell you something about the gospel. Let me tell you something about these scriptures that we're studying. I know that you think it's too good to be true. Because in Christianity, what we've done is we've made being saved something like winning the lottery. Hopefully I get it. Praying it happens. Maybe I'll get a number or two and get something right here and there. But there's no way that what you're teaching me through Ephesians is actually true. Because it's too good to be true. House church this past week had 30-something adults staring me in the face saying that same thing. This thing you're telling me is too, it's too good to be true. Because after they heard in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, after they heard the riches of God's mercy, the riches 
of his grace. They heard that God is overflowing with grace, that God has enough grace to overwhelm you and me and our mistakes and to forgive us no matter what it is that we do. That we serve a God who's rich, but not just rich in money, but he's rich in grace. In Romans it says, where sin abounds, meaning where sin is there, grace abounds much more. There's more grace than there is the ability for us to sin. And the Bible tells us that God, in Ephesians 1, 7, he's rich in grace. But this God that's rich in grace, like he's not stingy with it. Like he doesn't hold it back. You ever, you ever met somebody who has a whole lot of money and, and, you're, and, and you go out to eat? And you get the 99 cent chicken nuggets because all you guys 99 cent. And they get the whole spicy chicken meal, water, and they, they biggie size that thing. And they could have loaned you a dollar, but they didn't loan you a dollar. You feel some type of way. That, oh, I'm sorry, that's just me. How are you going to watch me get a 10-piece chicken nuggets, but you're not going to help me buy some fries? It'd be something if God had all of this grace and all of this mercy, but then he didn't distribute it. It'd be something if God had all of this in his bank account in heaven, all of this grace, but, but then he chose not to give you some, but to give him some, but not give you any. And wait a minute, you sinned too much. And I don't know, because let me tell you what grace is. Grace is undeserved favor, right? So listen, undeserved, meaning Meaning God will forgive you, God will provide for you, he will protect you, he will do all of this for you, he will call you his child, and it has nothing to do with what you did. It has everything to do with the fact that he's gracious. And the Bible says he's rich in grace, but is he stingy? He isn't stingy. And I know that some of you feel that way. Look at the verse in verse 8. He is, according to his riches, I'm going to stay in verse 7, I'm going to go to verse 8. It says, in him we have redemption. That means we are, we are bought back. God buys us back. He, he pulls us from, from the darkness, the Bible says, from the realm of darkness, and he brings us into heaven. The Bible says he buys us through what? The blood of Jesus. That's the price, and that's the price that's paid. Jesus pays it. With his blood, the forgiveness of all of your sins, every single one. And not just the ones that you do before you meet Jesus. Before. We had this struggle in our house church this past week. I asked everybody, hey, when, when did you first believe in Jesus? Was it before 15 years old? Almost everyone raised their hand up. Some of them didn't even remember when they believed in Jesus. The reason I ask that is because most of us, we believe in Jesus before we're 15 and we do our worst sins after the age of 15. Right? Like, when did you start really sinning? When you got, when you got a car? When, when, when you got a job and had, some of your, had your own money? You had to bar when, when you got to high school? When you got the internet, when you got one of these, I can almost guarantee that the worst of your sins happened after you believed in Jesus. And you and me, we don't know what to do with that. How does that work? How does this work? The Bible tells us in verse 7 and verse 8 that all of our wrongdoings, 
are taken care of by the blood of Jesus. Past, present, and future. Why does this happen? Not because we earn it, but because it's according to the riches of his grace. That he what? Verse 8. Lavishes on us. He stands over us and he pours out an endless supply of grace over us, lavishing us with it, and is also freely giving it out. He lavishes this on us. And I think that most of you, after you hear that you're forgiven, after you hear that there's nothing you could do that can pull you from the family of God, after you hear that he has all of this grace and that he lavishes it on you, after you've experienced what God did, because what did we learn in the first few verses? That God selects you. He picks you out. Like, he looks at you, knows who you are, and the Bible says he knows you inside and out, and yet he picks you anyway. That God selects you. Then we learn that Jesus saves you. He saves you. He, he, he pays the price so that you could have eternal life. So God selects, Jesus saves. And then last week in, in verse 13 through 14, we learned that the Holy Spirit seals us. That the Trinity is at work in your life and in mine. That all of them are actively working. You know what you're thinking, this is, this. they select us, they save us, and then, and then they seal us. And I know what you're thinking, this is, this is too good to, to be true. It's like winning the lottery. I don't know that this could really, do you know the things that I d I've done in my, in my life, Ralph? Do you know the areas that I struggle with? This message is that this point of the gospel, the, the goodness of, of this message is that this message sets us free from having to perform. We don't have to perform for God to accept us. We don't have to perform for God to love us. Christianity should feel like chains falling off, not I'm afraid to screw up. It's hard to accept that this is true because it means that our identity, who you are, what you are, is not found in what you do, but it's, it's found in who Jesus says you are. The gospel is this good news that you and me, we don't have to work anymore. That when Jesus was on the cross and when he said it was finished, he wasn't lying. That it really is finished. That there's no more work that we have to accomplish. And I know it's hard. And last week we went through a scripture in John chapter 10 verses 28 through 29. John chapter 10 where, where Jesus is telling us, I give you eternal life. My sheep, I give you. Listen, give you. It's a gift. It's nothing you earn. I give you eternal life, and none of you who are mine, no one will snatch you from my hand, he says. Then he says, it gets even better, my father is also holding you in his hand, and no one will snatch you from the father's hand. And I know that that's difficult for you to believe. I know it's difficult because when that thing says no one, you think, well, what about me? I'm really bad. What about me? I really struggle. What about me? I have mistakes. And when I went to seminary, my professor, 
would tell me like this. True love is being fully known and yet fully loved. That's true love. Because you're fully known and yet fully accepted and fully loved. That is the love that God has for us. And so when Jesus says, no one will snatch you from my hand and no one will snatch you from my father's hand that includes every someone here on this earth that's no devil that's no angel you can't even do it because you are also a someone that is a part of the no one and we have this reality we have this truth that God he saves us and then he he holds us and he keeps us keeps us safe and last week we learned in verse 13 through 14 in Ephesians, it says that we are sealed. Sealed. That when we have come to know Jesus, what happens next is that the Holy Spirit seals us and he keeps us fresh and that we don't spoil. And, and the issue that I know that you're wrestling with is how long does this sealing last? Like how long? Like a month, three weeks? A year. Ephesians 4.30 says this. It says, you, me, all of us, we are sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, this is the timeline. The timeline of our sealing. How long does the seal last? Does it, does it disintegrate? Does it go away? It says you are sealed until the day of redemption. What's the day of redemption? When Jesus comes back to take us home. So you are sealed, you are taken care of, you are loved, you are secure, you don't have to do anything else because God did it all until when? Until Jesus comes back to take us home. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30, write it down. I don't know if we had it on the screen for you. You need that verse in your life to remind you just how long he holds on to you. To the day of redemption. And I know that we struggle with this. It's too good to be true. It, this is too good to be true. That's why Paul, after verse 14, he tells us, I got to pray for you. Verse 15, this is what Paul says. He says, for this reason, after all of these great things, after me telling you all of these great things that you struggle to believe, that you are in him, that no one can pull you from his hand. He goes, for this reason, I, 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 I am reminded to pray for you in verse 16. I make mention of you in my prayers. He says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, why? Why am I praying? Because I need him to help give you wisdom. Because the stuff that I'm giving you, the stuff that I'm preaching to you, the stuff, it's, it's, it's over your head and it's hard for you to believe. He says, so after, again, Ephesians chapter th 1 verses 3 through 14 is one big long run-on sentence. Paul is so, so overwhelmed with the beauty of what God does for us that he just, he just speaks and writes in this one long run-on sentence. He can't contain himself. And after all of that, he realized, ooh, that might be a little bit much for y'all. So I'm praying that you receive it. Isn't it funny that back then they were struggling with believing that God saved them and didn't just save them and then left 
them alone, but he saved them and kept them. Is it fun that we still struggle with that today? Because grace is too good. Grace is way too good. It's hard to understand that we're forgiven for everything that we've ever done, for everything that we've ever thought. He says, I want God to give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Because you know what Paul is, is, is aware of? That if we're left on our own, we'll take our eyes off of the cross and we'll go find a ladder. That the focus of our life will no longer be the beauty of the cross, but in our effort to climb up to God. And so much of Christianity and the things you hear in other churches and in songs and in Bible studies is that you got some work to do. It's Jesus and. It's Jesus plus. The gospel is Jesus alone. The gospel is nothing else but Jesus, always Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 Jesus. Don't add anything to my gospel. Paul says, I am praying that you get this in church. I'm praying for you that this would sink so deeply in your heart and would take root in your soul and that you would start to live a life that is founded on this truth, that there's nothing you can do, that there's nothing you will ever do to separate you from the love of Christ, that you are sealed in him, that he loves you, that he cares for you that there is not a sin in your life that wasn't paid for at the cross we have to stop looking at ladders and focus on the cross if we, we would find joy in life if we stopped looking at this life as a, a, a constant attempt to make it to God when he's already made a way Paul he gives us this list. He, he tells us in these verses, he says, he says, this is what you need to do. He says, you got to hear the gospel, verse 13. You got to believe it, and that's it. Case closed. Hear it, believe it, and then let God do the rest. He says, and then the Holy Spirit puts down a down payment and says, your house is secure in heaven. You don't have to worry about what you do tomorrow or the mistakes that you've made after that day in youth camp when you were 12 years old and you went to the front and you believed in Jesus and, and all of the things that you did or the things that happened to you. You don't have to worry anymore because you're sealed in Jesus. It frees us from having to feel like we have to perform. And it gives us this opportunity to trust that God is everything that he says he is. He is our rescue. Our rescue is expressed in one thing. It's love. It's God's whole work from start to finish. We've been chosen. We've been graced. We've been redeemed. We've been rescued. We've been adopted. We've been sealed. And it's forged on what Jesus has done. This is what we receive. What we get from God in Ephesians chapter 1 is solely because of Jesus. And I'll take you to seminary. I would, if we were in a seminary class, I would say every verb, find it. Every action verb, everything that shows an action, find it, and then find the subject of it. Who does it? Now, look, I, I hate school. I'm not. I look, you should go to school, go to college. I get it. I hated regular school. I love Bible college. Bible college and seminary, that's my thing. I could do that all day long. 
what they teach here is if you go find every verb, everything that happens, every action, who's the subject of it? It's never us. It's always God. Meaning every time there's an action in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is saying you got none to do with it. He does all of it. He does all of the work and he does it for us even though we don't deserve it. And the reason that this is good news and the reason that it's really hard for us to understand is because, is because we have dark moments in our lives and we have areas in our life that, that we don't want anyone to know about and we're ashamed of it. And if people knew, we'd think that we'd lose love or we'd lose, we'd lose connection. And, 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 and why would then God love us if my best friend, if he knew what I was doing, would, dis, would just completely diss me? Would disassociate themselves if my parents knew what I did, if my family knew what I did, if my spouse knew what I did. So, so why would God? The gospel is that even in our darkest moments, he holds on tight to us. He never lets go. It's not that in our dark moments we make it because we hold on tight to God. No, because 10,000 upon 10,000 times when things get rough, I am always letting go. I am always struggling, and yet my God holds me tight, and he has never abandoned me. He will never abandon you. And whenever you are tempted to think that it's about you, remember it's about God's faithfulness and not yours. And when you start thinking this way, these, these scriptures won't seem like winning the lottery. They'll just sound like good news. They'll just sound like good news. Each and every one of us, we... We get lost in this. The thing is, is you need to find your identity in Christ. These scriptures give us an identity in Christ. What, what, is, what does that mean, Ralph? An identity in Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who's Michael Jordan? Huh? The goat. I like that. He's the goat. Who's Michael Jordan? Who said nah? Don't play with Mike. Who's Michael Jordan? He's the GOAT. What else is he? Basketball player. Okay, there it is. Love it, Brooklyn. Who's Tiger Woods? Golfer. Who's Dr. Phil? Doctor. Who's Oprah? What? Who's Oprah? Doesn't like y'all don't watch no Oprah. She's a talk show host, right? Okay. Who's J.J. Watt? Football player, woo, football player, okay. The Texan, no he's not. Wisconsin, that boy's from Wisconsin. What if I told you you were all wrong? Because I asked you who they were, you didn't tell me who they were, you just told me what they did. The reason you did that is because we are conditioned to believe that what we do defines who we are. And if you're not careful and you don't allow this word to seep down into your heart, you're going to start believing that you are the result of the things that you do. And you lose your identity. And your identity is that you are a son and a daughter. You are chosen. You are redeemed. You are adopted. You are rescued. You are clean. You are saved. You are sealed. So I don't know if you've ever been to jail. I've been to jail. Mama, don't tell them my, my business. Let me tell this story. Listen, uh, how many of y'all been to Mexican jail, though? Woo! I'm a, oh, Suzette? 
is the only one, of course. If there had to be anybody that would be in Mexican jail, I would believe it was Suzette. Totally. I've been in American jail, and, I, and I've been in Mexican jail. Now look, I was, now listen, I got to tell you this story. Is it okay? Y'all thinking, how do you go in, why are you in Mexican jail? Ralph, tell us. All you new people, listen, I promise you I'm not the same I used to, the way I used to be. I've changed my life, seminary, grad, we're good to go. So when I was 14 years old, back in, no, I was probably 12, 13, I was driving in Mexico. Because in Mexico, when you're in little towns, you can drive. They don't care. Just don't, just don't get in a wreck. My dad had this awesome Chevy Silverado back in the day, dropped, had speakers in the back, candy painted, rims were incredible. I was so proud of that truck. It had a wood grain steering wheel. Y'all don't know what it's like to grip wood grain. Gripping grain, we had wood grain everywhere. It was awesome. My dad said, go ahead and go buy some Cokes. Because in Mexico, we drink Cokes morning, noon, and night, Mexican Cokes. If you had that kind of access, you'd be drinking them all day too. Go buy, go buy some Cokes. And as soon as he let me drive for the first time, it was over. I was driving everywhere. And in Mexico, we have this thing called a plaza in, in, this, in my dad's town. And it's just this little, like, circle rink where cars would just drive around with loud, annoying music, you know. Jay-Z, it's the hard knock life for us. That was me all day long, just driving with my cousin Chris. I don't know if he's here, but that's what we do. All day long, annoying people. Going up in the middle of the night, waking people up, thinking it was funny because Lil Flip said we knocked pictures off the wall. And so we said, <laughs> beating down your block, knocking pictures off your wall. That's what we would do all the time. We're like, man, we're going to. Felt really bad when a lady came running out saying we made Jesus fall off of her mantle. It's like, got to be really careful. One night, I was going crazy. I was going crazy. I was, I, was, I was peeling out everywhere, and I had music really loud, and the police came and got me. Put me in jail. Took me away, put me in jail. My cousin, who was with me, ran. <laughs> Sell out. Left me there. He left me there, but then he went to go get my uncles. So listen, I was in this jail cell, and I didn't know what was about to happen. I'm, I'm not going to get, am I going to get deported? What's happening? I don't know. What is Mexican jail? I just knew that it was not pretty. It was not nice. Uh, the guys did not talk to me. They threw me in a cell, and they just looked at me, and I had no clue what was about to happen to me. I was sitting there, and I was worried. I was like, what's going to happen? I'm in a lot of trouble. My parents are going to kill me. Uh, how much is this going to cost? You know, just all the natural. What's the excuse I'm going to give? And about two hours later, my uncles come through the door. And they don't just come in just talking. They come in yelling. Hey, 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 what's going on? What's going on? And all the police officers get, what are you doing here? And he's, oh, wait, wait. And they recognize my uncles. See, my mom's already spoiling this story. Mama, hey, shh, it's my story, not yours. I got the mic. You don't have the mic. Swear to God, I swear to God, Mexican moms will always want to. Y'all white people don't know. Mexican moms, she, she won't even let me finish telling my own story. My, my uncles come in. They got a beer in their hand. Hey, do you know whose grandson that is? The guys go, no. 
That is Rafael Paez's grandson, the mayor of this town. Oh, wait. Then he goes, do you know whose son that is? That is Rafael Paez's son. You got to know I'm a, I'm a Trey. I'm a third. That's, that's Rafael Paez's grandson, and that's Rafael Paez's son. In an instant, those officers got up, unlocked the door, and let me go. Sorry, we're so sorry. We, 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 don't, we didn't mean it. Come on, what do you need? Give, me, give him back his stuff. And I was gone. And my uncle said, hey, anytime, anytime that you come across any of the police here and they want to harass you, they want to put you in prison, remind them whose grandfather is your, what you, who's your grandfather, and remind them whose son you are. And I said, I said, why do I got to remind them about my dad? They said, oh, because your dad grew up with all of them. And your dad used to be just like them really bad. But your dad's changed and he's, he's actually talks to them about Jesus. And, and they would never want to disrespect your father because of his dumb son. <laughs> so you know what I realized that moment as I'm walking out free? That I didn't do anything to get that freedom. My grandfather and my father did. These, these two men, their reputation and their deeds covered me. My dad's righteousness covered me. My grandfather's position saved me. Those two men, if it wasn't for them, I'd be in that prison all night. Let me tell you something about two people, two beings, two people of the Godhead. God the Father and Jesus the Son. The Bible says that God selects you and Jesus saves you. And if ever you find yourself in a place where the enemy, where this world, where your emotions, where your thoughts creep in, and you start to believe that you're less than who you are, and you start to believe that, that you've got more negative in you than God could ever do for you, and you start to believe all the lies of the enemy, you just, you just remind them whose son you are. You remind them whose who's son. You're God's child. You're God's child, and Jesus Jesus saved you. His righteousness and his deeds are what matter, not mine. My identity is not found in what I do. It's found on whose I belong to. And I belong to my grandfather and my father. And if it wasn't for them, I'd be stuck. If it wasn't for God, we'd be stuck. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of the gospel. I, I got to give you this before we go because I have to give you something. That I believe when you look at these verses and Paul is trying to teach us, what's, what's he trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us a, a big word. And we'll, we'll get the band up here. Let's get the band up here. A word called sanctification. Did you hear that? Sanctification. What is that? The Bible tells us that justification is the moment when you believe in God and he declares you righteous. In heaven, he gets a, a, a javelin and he goes, not guilty. That's justification. You are, you are forgiven past, present, and future. But the problem is when you start dealing with your own sin, when you start realizing that every single day you sin, every single moment you have bad thoughts, and how come the things that I want to do, I don't do. Paul said the same thing. Paul said the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Have you ever found yourself in that place? Where you know the things that you should do, but you don't do it. This is called your sanctification. There are three tenses of salvation. 
three ways that we understand the word salvation in the Bible. And that's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Justification happens when you believe in Jesus, you are forgiven eternally. It's done. You are sealed. Sanctification, that word scares a lot of us. Sanctification is being set apart. It's being made holy. And most, most churches will tell you, hey, you've got to do your work to be set apart. If you've ever went into your grandma's kitchen and touched some of her good china, you know what it's like to touch things that have been set apart. Those things, uh-uh, you don't touch that, it's set apart. The Bible tells us that we have to be sanctified. We have to be set apart. In the Old Testament, whenever they would use this word, it would mean to become holy. But God realized and he knew all along we could not be holy without Jesus. So he sent his son to die so that we didn't, weren't just justified, but we were sanctified. I know this is a lot, but I got to give you this because you need to know. Because I know that your daily sins make you doubt whether you're saved. Because you think I'm not holy today. I was holy in church yesterday, and then I got in the car, and I was on 290, and it was upsetting. This car cut me off, and I said some things I shouldn't have said. I'm not holy. So did I, if I die now, am I going to hell? Sanctification. There are not only three tenses of salvation. It's justification, sanctification, glorification. But there are three phases of sanctification. Three phases. You ready? Can I give them to you real quick? Yes or no? Okay, let me give them to you. You, want, you might want to write this down because this can be really life-changing for you. Three phases. First, your sanctification, your being set apart. Does that make sense? Not doing bad things, not failing again. It's, it's not found in what you do. It's found in the position you're in. Did you hear that? Your sanctification is not found in what you do. Have I stopped sinning? Do I stop looking at things on the Internet? Do I stop doing? No, it's found primarily in your position, your sanctification is positional. I'll tell you why. I, I just got to get through this with y'all. It's so important. Because like Paul, Paul was saying, I know you don't get it. So I'm praying that it lands. So I need this to land. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are, we are seated in heavenly places. Where are we? We're in heavenly places, yet we're here on this earth. Our spirit, our, who we are in Christ, is already, the Bible says, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what happens. Jesus told his disciples, if you want to be glad, if you want to give God glory, give him glory because your names have been written. They were already written in heaven. Not long after that, Peter denied Jesus. Not long after that, they ran away scared. And yet Jesus said, before those sins, before you denied me in public, before you did this against me, Peter, I already wrote your name in heaven because you believed in me. Listen, Ephesians 2.6 says we're seated in heavenly places. That's where spiritually we are. But I need you to see this. First, I need you to see this. 1 Corinthians 1.2. 1 Corinthians 1.2. This is Paul. Paul's writing. To the, to the church in Philippians, in, in Corinth. So it's the same author. So he's saying that he, he's going to write the same way. Look what he says. He says, to the church of God which is in Corinth. To those who what? 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 Say it louder. I don't think you see exactly what it says. To those who have been. past tense. He's saying your sanctification, your, your need to be good, your need to be holy, that's already taken place. 
wait, wait, don't clap it. You need to get this. That's already taken place in the eyes of God because Jesus lived the perfect life. And Jesus, he, he gives you his life and you, he takes yours. The Bible calls this imputed righteousness. It's like when you get a turkey and you, and you inject it with, with butter and stuff. That's what the Spirit does. It injects us. It imputes righteousness, meaning there is nothing you can do. God has already injected you with righteousness. So Paul says to the church in Corinth who were jacked up. This is the worst church in the early church. They made mistake after mistake. They were sleeping around. They were doing things they shouldn't have done. They were, they, they were doing things. They were following. They were going to uh, the, the, the temple of Aphrodite and doing things they shouldn't have done. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening. They were carnal and they made mistakes. And yet Paul says what? Put it back up. It says, you have been sanctified. All that holiness you're trying to accomplish, it's already been done for you. Your sanctification is positional. Because look what it says. To those who have been sanctified, put it up. It says, in Christ. You have been sanctified in Christ. Positionally. You aren't just seated in heavenly places. You aren't just in heavenly places. But positionally, you are sanctified in Christ. So your, your sanctification is not up to you. You're doing good and your holiness is not up to you. It's founded in Jesus. You are in Christ and then it says saints by calling. You are a saint by calling. Do you get that? You are a saint not because of what you've done, but because of what he calls you. Do you get that? You don't have to do anything to get this. It's already been yours. This church did not deserve to be called saints. For the next 10 chapters, Paul's like, I'm really disappointed in you. But you're still a saint. Because you're sealed. And your sanctification is given to you because of the position that you're in. Paul spoke about their sanctification as if it was already settled because it newsflash, it was. The Bible said Jesus paid it all. They were careless, carnal people, and yet Jesus spoke to Paul and said, these people are sanctified. What else? Your, your sanctification is not just by position, it's a progress. It's pro we call it progressive sanctification progressive meaning it's day by day well how does that work well we still God still wants us to try better he still wants us to make better decisions and so God says in 1st Peter 3 15 this is what Peter says about our sanctification he says to us sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts notice the tense this is not past tense this is present tense. He's saying every day sanctify yourselves. You should. That's what he's saying. Every day you should try better. Every day you should try to make better decisions. But not because you have to, because you want to. Sanctify your hearts in Jesus Christ. In the present tense. Let me tell you something. After I got released from that prison, I knew I had the freedom to do whatever I wanted. After I got released from that prison, I knew 
I can mess up and they're never going to put me back in jail. But because of the name of my father, but because of the standing of my grandfather, I drove a lot better. I turned down Jay-Z. And I didn't go waking up people in the middle of the night. Not because I didn't have the freedom to, because I did. But because I wanted to give honor to my father and to my grandfather. See, this is this. That's what this is. You, you're sanctified. But because you love God and because you're grateful for Jesus, you should sanctify yourself. You should be making better decisions. You should try a little bit more. I told you it was three. I'm going to end here. Not only is it positional, not only is it progressive, but it's also perfect. Your sanctification is perfect. Now I said earlier, and again, I'm giving you a lot of stuff because you need to learn this stuff. Uh, you, your justification when you were saved is, is past, present, future. It's, it's in three tenses, right? It's justification, sanctification. What's left? Glorification. What is glorification? When Jesus comes. And he changes our body. So how is, how is our sanctification perfect? Romans 8.30. Romans 8.30. This is Paul writing again. Now he's writing to the church in Rome. He says, those who he justified, he also glorified. Do you see that? Those who he justified, he also glorified. Meaning, he justified you, but the job ain't done. He's going to glorify you one day. And if he justified you once, you can be sure that he's going to glorify you next. So let me, give you this, let me give you this encouragement today. You might not feel like you're getting things right all the time. It's hard to believe that this is real, this gospel, that you don't have to do anything. It's hard to believe that Jesus did it all, but it's true. And if he justified you, Paul said he's also going to glorify you, meaning you're good to go. It's real. He's going to carry you all the way until he comes back again. And you can be assured today that Jesus Christ paid it all and you will be glorified. You will be in heaven. Your mistakes are never going to be counted against you. And I know this is like, like Paul said, I know it's over here, like a lot. So I'm praying and I'm remembering you in my prayers that God would give you wisdom and knowledge. And that word knowledge, I love this word. It's epigonosko in the Greek. Not gnosko, but epigonosko. Gnosko is, hey man, I know you, Tiffany. I know you. That's gnosko. That's the original word. Epigonosko is when we are intimately involved, when we do life together, when we experience that. The Bible says, Paul is saying, I need you to epigonosko God. Don't just know facts about him. Don't just know things about him, but get to know him in the real sense. And the way that you can know him, Paul says, the way that you can experience him in this way, this very real way, is coming to grips with the reality that Jesus Christ died once and for all for sinners. That Jesus Christ paid the price for you and for me, and we don't have to be afraid anymore. Because our Father, who justifies us, is going to also glorify us. We have hope. We have this promise for us. And I hope that that encourages you today. Come on, I hope that encourages you.
going to pray for you really quickly, and then we're going to bring the kids in here, and we're going to celebrate them. But I'm praying for you. Because this is so important for you. It will change your life when you come to know it. Why don't you stand with me, and I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, would your word seep deeply into the hearts of your people? Would they know that they know that they know that they're saved? Would they have no doubts that you have cared for them by giving us Jesus and you have set them on a course that leads to glorification? Our destination is secure. You have sealed us and you delivered it by giving us Jesus. We're thankful for him. Right now, if you're there, just where you're at, if you're thankful for Jesus, why don't you just give him, just tell him thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for setting me apart. Thank you for, for not just justifying me, but sanctifying me. Thank you for the hope that we have that one day I'm going to be glorified and that heaven is my home no matter what I do. We're thankful for Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.